I'm re- I'm so glad you it's did okay. that. Let's do that again because I fully intended to ask you before we started, and then I smoked weed and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> stuff should we um <clears throat> should we make a podcast let's do a podcast today all Sounds right good. this is a podcast this is Gearbuds podcast episode 89 uh which is a big number crazy i'm henry we've got dave on the phone hey and we also have a super special guest i'm super excited to have on the phone nick brosty what's up dude hey how's it going guys what's up man thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me nick is if you don't know already uh multi-talented, multi-faceted, multi-everything, recordist and engineer, mixer, master, producer, uh, musician, composer, trombonist, uh, the list goes on. So uh, I'm super excited to have you on. It's an honor and we're going to dig into all that stuff as soon as we get through a couple things that we do every week. First, <clears throat> the first thing being the Symphony of Corrections. Um, Happy New Year, oh, uh, yeah. first of all. Yeah, that's New a Year. thing that happened. Please Navidad. Uh, that that's cool. 2021. All right. Uh, fun fact. Uh, I, the movie Johnny Mnemonic takes place in the internet in, in 2021. No so way. There's, some really, there's some really fun. There's some really fun, like just like 90s versions of what 2021 should Their be. Their predictions. How did uh, they that do? I've been seen on the internet. <laughs> Honestly, I can't even remember anything about the movie, but I've seen some really cool screenshots lately yeah. that I like. I'm super vibing on. So I totally have to watch that. Check again. it out. That's awesome. Uh, here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you for listening to this and sticking with us through all this. Uh, we do it for y'all. Follow us on Instagram at Gearbuds Podcast and Facebook. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple, blah, 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 all the places that there are podcasts. Uh, have a couple uh, free things to update this week for GearbudsPodcast.com slash free stuff. Uh, I found out about the new, well, I guess it's relatively new, uh, Cherry Audio, who we've talked about a little bit. Um, I, th- I can't remember the, I think it was maybe Voltage Modular. I can't remember. They had another plugin that came out for free that we've talked about in the past. Well, recently they've put out a, a really cool version of a super weird old synth that I've actually um, played with the hardware a little bit in the past, which is the Realistic MG1, which is a clone of a Moog synth um, oh, from cool. like the 70s, 80s. It was like a Radio Shack version, basically. Well, anyways, they did a, a free plugin version that sounds fucking awesome. And now you can do all sorts of cool midi stuff and like polyphony and all that good stuff so that's new and then i also i think this is old but i found out about another free uh, synth plugin called ragnarok made by full bucket um, which i'll put the link up to that one's interesting because it's also a model of a super rare weird european synth that i you know had never even heard of or anything like that Sweet. so those are fun to have in your in your arsenal if you can oh yeah and uh go check those out download them they're free um i realize that we actually have a symphony uh, a correction for the symphony oh, really? this week and well it's not so much a correction in that um so if anyone listened to last week's episode which i know you did because i can see the numbers uh we started off the episode (laughs) talking about how i recently went through this big thing where i had to buy a new mac and and all my new interfaces and all this stuff and we're like yeah we're gonna get way into that and dive in and then we like totally did not come totally took a left turn and so um (laughs) if anyone's interested uh, i did get a whole bunch of new computer stuff and interface stuff and it it's been a bit of a, a headache getting it all sorted out but i think it's all sorted out now so that's cool um if anyone ever uses the Apollo Twin, uh, and you run into issues where you're getting sort of weird clicky uh, digitally stuff happening, mm. uh, it turns out that um, basically it's a word clock issue. So I was running some, I actually got this little box to convert my Kemper to go from Spitif to ADAT, which is what the Twin X takes in uh, from my home rig here. And it was, it was just sounding like shit. I, don't, I didn't know mm. what was going on. Well, it turns out it's a word clock issue, and you have to force. Your, if you can't adjust it within the device itself, you have to basically force it through the universal audio software. There's a little button called SR convert, sample rate convert. Who knew? You click it, all of a sudden everything was gone. It fixed everything. Hallelujah. Uh, so use oh, yeah. SR convert if that ever happens. Good pro uh, yeah, tip. That's it. Uh, oh, also, um, just if I can toot my own horn for a second here, uh, although not really, uh, Chicago Music Exchange put out their like 2020 best of vintage video. Oh, yeah. And one of my vids made it in there. <laughs> nice. Uh, which is cool, except um, I'm surrounded by just monster players like Nathaniel yeah. and, and Alex Chadwick and all these people doing like these fucking rip roaring gymnastics. And they literally took me playing cowboy chords on the Trini Lopez. <laughs> the Trini Lopez, oh, yeah. Uh, vintage, you know, his old signature model, which is great i love that demo i think it turned out great and and i'm um, daniel escariza if you're listening to this thanks for reaching out and even asking me uh if, if you wanted if you could use it but it still felt pretty funny to be like i made these other awesome right. videos where i'm like shredding and stuff and then it's jingy 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 <laughs> <laughs> just chunking on some cowboy courts so good 
so that's out there if you want to check that out. Uh, ooh, I've got a little th- something quick for bad fucking ideas. We here, got some bad fucking ideas. Which is our today. favorite sub sub segment of the symphony here, and this is something that I don't know if either of y'all have noticed this. So recently, uh, JHS JHS pedals mm-hmm. have been listing, you know, unobtainium hen's teeth, super rare and vintage pedals right. on Reverb for like absurd for like a half a million dollars the, including <laughs> the first he owns the first clan centaur ever made uh well i guess it, it was the first one ever sold the first one ever made mike finnegan kept and then the story is that he sold the second one well josh has it josh scott and um listed it for five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> which is like that's a troll post right it's I mean, a total troll post and at first i i didn't know what to make of it at first i was kind of like oh that's kind of funny he's just like commenting on the nature of the used gear market right now and like that you can ask anything you want on reverb and maybe people are paying it maybe it's about the the fact that reverb increased their selling fees i don't know but the, now that i see it and and like he's reposted it a few times it kind of just makes me upset like i'm kind of just annoyed by the whole thing to be honest with you henry have you noticed uh if you clicked on the link recently it says listing suspended suspended. i sure (laughs) did notice that i've never seen a listing suspended before i don't even know what that means. i don't know what that means either i think maybe it's because he has just been like specifically trying to troll reverb which is so weird because he must sell a fuckload of pedals on reverb yeah yeah i don't i don't i I, I don't totally get it maybe he's released some other videos or responses uh about why specifically he's doing this but it's not the only pedal there's like you know supposedly some tone bender that's never been touched by human hands like, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't even make vacuum. that shit up <laughs> uh, so i mean yeah again like i i totally laughed at, at first too but also it was just kind of like what i i don't understand the end game like what's what's the point of this maybe i'm missing something here yeah it just maybe he's bored or something probably to that. knock off be. a mortgage <laughs> yeah right. no shit man <laughs> no kidding uh oh i did see, i've got a couple actually one funny uh, Craigslist post that I just really quickly want to mention. I threw a screenshot in this document, which I know Dave, you can see, but um, basic is the headline is speakers party for rent. Okay. Speakers party for rent for $49. And then it's the photo is <laughs> the photo is uh, like a, a, an old stereo receiver on top of a rat for like 15 inch speaker yeah. on a stick from like the eighties on the ground with a truly, a truly. In front of it. Oh, that's classic, dude. I love that. And then the, and then it's speakers for birthday party for birthdays party music karaoke text fifty dollars for means. a day I think those Optimus that was like a Radio Shack brand I think at one point was it yeah I don't even know yeah that's like super old that's but like definitely nineties if you're looking f- to rent a party of speakers uh, for forty nine dollars that option <laughs> exists is the truly included in the sale I think that's illegal I don't know it's yeah, unopened point good point yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. But then the funniest part about it, though, too, is that there were two other images, and um, they were clearly not the same Optimus speaker with, like, you know, stereo receiver on top. One was just a picture of a laptop. Okay. So, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> What's sure. What's going on there? Yeah, that's great. Uh, but I'm excited about it. Uh, that's all I got for the symphony this week, it, which man. means that in, in almost record time, I think, because we've been kind of dallying a lot in the symphony lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to say my two favorite words that I get to say every single week. Dave's Dice. Nice. Ooh, that was, I, I, I took yeah, I took it a different a different angle that time, and I'm kind of into it. I think I'm I almost leave, heard I'm the delay the trails. with yeah. a natural voice. That was great. Man. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, yeah, I'll keep it quick today because I want to get to our guest. But I, I uh, I'm pretty stoked because uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. I don't know if if I've, if I've talked about this on here is the Animals. Eric Burden and the Animals. Hell yeah, dude. Um, they they don't have any really like actually official docs. Um, but the other day I was kind of like. I'm going to see if they got anything out there. And I did, in fact, find a documentary about the animals and Eric Burden uh, called Eric Burden and the Animals and Beyond. Uh, And it's uh, basically a Vimeo, so anybody can go watch it. It's just like an hour-long, pretty easy watch um, story about, you know, kind of how they came to be. And, uh, you know, it's a lot about Eric Burden. And, uh, you know, they started as a jazz band, which I did not know. Thought that was really interesting. Um, oh, it's pronounced Yaz. Yes, yeah, Yaz Rock. Um, but you know, they were a house band playing four to five nights a week in the UK. Um, uh, some things that I took away from the movie, which are kind of funny. For some reason, Sammy Hagar is being interviewed the entire time. <laughs> like I'm not the kidding. Red Rocker you, like, himself. Yeah, it, it should literally say like narrated by Sammy Hagar. He's like talking Holy about shit. the band. He <laughs> must have had some crazy obsession with Eric Bird and the Animals because he knows his shit, man. He's definitely. You know, definitely spitting some knowledge. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, something, I think we brought this up last week. We were talking about, um, and I don't know if it made it 
uh, to the episode, but we were talking about drinking milk in the studio. Wait, Dave, does that mean you don't listen intently to every single episode <laughs> after we release them and take notes about I, how you can I perform don't. better next not every, week? Not everyone, just my favorite one. Son of a bitch. Sorry, man. Um, well, why have been wa- by, I've been wasting my time doing this for the last few episodes. <laughs> I will say this though, we were talking about drinking milk and and singing and how that oh, affects yeah, your vocal cords. Th- we did. I don't know if that wasn't. I think that might have just been us chatting. I think yeah, we were just chatting beforehand. That. That's why. Yeah, I think that's why I was uh, thinking about it. But anyways, there is a there's footage of Eric Burden recording in the studio drinking milk out of a milk jug, like a milk, <laughs> like all those glass milk things. And I thought that was so much. And he's he's like behind the mic, like he's not just in the studio like walking around. He's like actually tracking. So I thought that was really interesting. He, yeah, he must have really wanted that just like gross phlegmy sound. Yeah, for that well, particular. He kind of he kind of did have that naturally in his in his voice. You know, like uh, Sammy Hagar, in fact, was talking about it, saying you know a lot of guys will smoke cigarettes and whiskey and all this stuff, and then by the time they're twenty five, they burn out because it's just like your voice just gets toast. Unless you're Lenny, um, of course. Yeah, of course. And he uh, he just had that naturally, kind of. And I wonder if the milk had something to do with that, actually. Totally. So, it does um, burn good. I thought that was cool. And then, uh, like, one last thing to note. I thought it was really interesting. You know, they recorded House of the Rising Sun, their most famous song, arguably, mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, one take, 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And it was one take, no overdubs. And it was instantly a number one hit over Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. I thought Shit, that was fucking crazy. amazing. Um, 8 a.m. Saturday. I mean, that's like that's the yeah. the, the witching He's, hour, right? They were basically like, yeah, I don't know if they were up all night the night before or how that works, but uh, he, he was basically like, yeah, we had to get in there at like 8 a.m. on a Saturday and like just crank the song out in one take. So Damn I thought you. that was kind of cool. And they also made no money, that band. Um, they had uh, tons of bad contracts and management and that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't think the band itself made like any money at all. So, oh, I thought so that many was really bands got screwed like that. It's so crazy. Yeah. It is crazy, man, because you can think back to those days like you didn't have any way of like taking, you know, everything was written down on like maybe a piece of paper that got lost or something. So it's just everything was so sketchy back then. Um, I think we at this point in in history, we kind of look at the music industry and see it as this like monolithic thing when mm -hmm. a lot of times they I mean, they were just like making this shit up on the fly. It's not like like the the idea of recorded music has even existed for all that long. Mm -hmm. So it's like absolutely it makes sense that, yeah, there, there was a long period of time, although, however, I guess. We're still getting fucked now, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, just in a different way. Anyway. Just different, <laughs> different toys of getting screwed. Exactly, so, yeah. man. And uh, one last final thing I thought was kind of interesting, and I knew this before I watched this, but Chaz Chandler, the bassist from The Animals, mm. actually was the manager for Jimi Hendrix after That's that. Right. So That's, I thought I that was kind of interesting, too, talking about strange conspiracies and uh, record contracts and those types of things i bet he made money from that i'll say that yes i bet he did just fine uh, unless they were under another bad contract so dude so i gotta ask though any uh any any sweet like uh studio gear spot yeah super sweet studio gear spots um really cool old Rhodes pianos um because they had that keyboard player who was just a monster um so he was into the Rhodes, and then the uh and the hammond yeah the hammond and then of course the uh the guitars were like those Vox, you know, like the toilet seat Vox. I forget the model. The teardrops? Like yeah, the, the teardrop. <clears throat> totally. I had that and a really sweet uh, Gibson EB2 bass, which I thought was super cool. Like the, uh, I don't know if it was the, the EB2, semi-hollow but like the semi-hollow one. one yeah. yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And they were really nice suits. I will say that, which is funny because they had a stylist. They were trying to make them into the Beatles, you know, like mm-hmm. that was the thing back then. And they were just like, you know, Eric Burden was like, fuck that, dude. I'm not like combing my hair like he always looks a little unkempt when you watch those old music videos so um really good really good doc man there was lots of cool footage in it and stuff like that did you say what it was called i don't know if i called it's it called eric burden the animals and beyond and then it goes into his you know career featuring afterwards. the red rocker sammy hagar featuring uh, sammy hagar so. what's what's your totally arbitrary based on nothing uh how, actually you know what i want to ask how many how many risen suns do you give it yeah i was just about to say uh i want to give that a solid four out of five rising suns yeah i'll dude. give it that so it's a good one worth watching easy watch Definitely. good one man yeah yeah send me a link i'll watch that shit awesome dude we'll do post it up on the old facetown post it on the facetown yeah baby all right sweet that's uh great dave's docs let's take it into uh a segment where we can finally start to get to know nick a little bit better nice uh, which we call a couple two tree randos where we ask our guest a couple two tree rando uh quick quick hitting questions so let's do it uh nick if you could swap places <clears throat> with any band member of any band past or present living dead Regardless of your talent or theirs, who would that be and why? Wow! So basically, like, 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 uh, live in their body and but experience what what they're doing. Totally. Well, there are a couple ways that you could take it. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, some people have been like, "Yo, I just want to be like Ox Perk at Woodstock." Right, or, right, right. Like, 
or I would like to be Johann Sebastian Bach. Like there are, there, you know, they're really whatever, whatever you dream of. Well, here. I, I think that's definitely really interesting. Like going back before, like you know, like recorded sound or uh, you know, like amplified sound at all. Like, like part of me has always really wondered, you know, because I grew up like like a jazz nerd playing in big bands and stuff like that. Like what it would be like to sit in the middle of like the Duke Ellington Orchestra in the '30s, oh, you man. know, or like just to hear like what that actually sounded like to be in the room, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like, you know, it, those recordings didn't really start to sound good till like the fifties and sixties. So uh, that, I think That's that really would be, that would be really interesting to just to like be in that band and see what that life was like to me. Badass. Yeah, Love I it. agree. Yeah. That's Cause really it's cool. something you like to your point, it didn't start sounding good whatever until the fifties or sixties. So you could actually hear like, yeah. in full fidelity what that would have been like. <laughs> yeah. We only know what we can experience. Like. Yeah. yeah exactly. and, and, and people had to play differently because you know, like, uh, like this happens in the trombone. There's like a, a whole generation of players that are used to playing into a microphone like live as opposed to like an entire band where there's no mics. And you sure. have to solo over an entire band and stuff like that. Like, so people yeah. are probably playing. It could have been, who knows, crazy loud, or maybe everything was just quieter back then too. Who knows? It's a really who good knows? point. Great one. Love that. <clears throat> Do you have a most memorable holiday gear gift? And and if not, uh, I, this isn't a real question, but I just thought of the pun. Do you have a new gears resolution? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think people have learned not to give me a gear. Um, cause most of the people I know are like, I don't, I have no idea what to, what I would ever buy you. Yeah. Um, yep. but, uh, a new gears resolution. Yeah. This, this year I really want to upgrade my monitors. That's kind of okay. like, especially what's because your, what's your main listening setup now? Well, uh, I'm on like Adam A X sevens or a seven X's. And, uh, actually I just got a sub 10 yesterday. Oh, to, to pair so, with them. So I've been experimenting yeah, with do, that like, the crossover thing and get the, all the bass out of the the tops. Then yeah, I've been like playing around with it. So uh, it's it's probably gonna take me like a month to be like where and, you know and, like moving it an inch at a time mm-hmm. and like shooting the room and all this stuff. But uh, that's one thing. I was like, I've been the last couple of years. I've mostly been like, I just want stuff that where I can like really tell what's going on in the recording, like really trying to increase the level the fidelity of that stuff but other than that i man i like i don't don't want to spend a lot of money these days (laughs) (laughs) i get that i wish i could (laughs) but well so i guess i mean if you don't mind just a little quick little sort of like uh philosophical discussion i mean how do you feel like are you an ns10 guy do you are you the sort of person that wants to hear something on a shitty setup so you know that it's going to translate or are you trying to go for full fidelity like how do you do you have a sort of philosophy with listening to that sort of thing oh yeah i mean i've got tons of you know like uh like i went out a few years ago and bought like a really nice like bluetooth speaker to like mm-hmm. kind of like be like, well, this is what would be in a yuppie household, and then like right. a, and like the sh- the, <laughs> exactly. the shittiest like twenty six dollar Bluetooth speaker, um, to just to be like, all right, this is the cheapest thing, and I have them both down down here in my listening room, and I can just like turn them on, and cheap headphones, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, the car. I don't. I actually own NS tens, but I never I never use them because I don't like having two sets of speakers next to each other anymore. But, and I didn't really What's, grow up is on there, Is there a specific reason for that? Um, I, I get really, I'm starting, like, this is my, this whole year has been about, like, uh, for me, it's really been about, like, uh, uh, learning more about listening. And when at my old studio, when I had NS10s up, either on top of, like, this A7Xs or on the sides, it would just start to mess with things. And then I would just a- end up asking myself, like, questions all day like is this really Mm. how this sounds and Mm. i couldn't make any decisions so i just decided to go with like one pair of speakers up and then other stuff around it was it the 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 sort of i guess questions that you're asking was it based on physical things like the having these near each other are going to affect the physical wave happening or is it more just you're confusing your brain by hearing from different sources i like a little of both like uh like even where i'm sitting now i've got my my computer monitor on like a uh on like a very movable stand so I can push it mm-hmm. forward and back and like put it wherever. Uh, and when I'm mixing, I push it all the way back and it totally changes the stereo image. Yeah. Wow. So hmm. yeah, stuff like that. But uh, yeah. New Gears resolution. Love it. 
Uh, well, I guess, well, if you're to quickly put a bow on that, uh, if do you have any any that you've been sort of thinking about upgrading to? Yeah, I, I really kind of want. Yeah, I've been looking at the, you know, the $20,000 PMCs, but like yeah. there's no <laughs> way I can buy those right now. Um, but I've been kind of looking at the like the ATC, uh, uh, the 25s, mm-hmm. which uh, they're, they're a pretty penny. But I've, everyone I know that's owned them has had like really good things to say about them. Um, and in, when I have whenever I move into my next room, I think it'll probably be like a more appropriate speaker for having other people in the room. So. More of like a, a mid instead of near field sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, a little more output, you know, but not but not like huge mains. Yeah, not soffited up into some giant wall. Or no, like no. Which would be fucking dope. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I've totally. always dreamed of having something like that. <laughs> uh, sweet. All right. So um, this question comes from our guest. Was that two weeks ago, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. yeah time ago. is a fucking. I, don't I know. Anymore. But a uh, question from Danny, uh, Danny Reich, awesome guest. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode after yeah. this one, go back and listen to it. Um, but his question for you is he would like to know, he didn't know who this was for, just, you know, some okay. in the music world, but he would like to know that um, what was an event or something that happened in your life or career that <clears throat> at the time you saw as a disappointment or sort of a knock that you now can look back on as an actual blessing? Oh, wow. I know. I know. He was super deep. (laughs) I was like, damn, dude, I might steal that one. He pulled that out of the top of his head, too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because there's so many disappointments in life to begin with. Um, (laughs) um, I'm trying to think. Such as the last entire year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Wow, a disappointment that ended up being, like, a good thing. Take your time. It's a tough one, yeah. We got plenty of digital space here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... The nice thing is I haven't had any like huge disasters where it's like my life got ripped apart. But sure. like, I guess for me, I am really glad that I ended up here in Chicago because I almost went to school, to college, not here. Mm. Uh, and then like, uh, but I think actually being in Chicago changed very much what I'm, you know, my life as opposed to like going to school out in, out in the middle of like the Midwest, mm-hmm. you know, like a state school or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get into the one I really wanted to go to. So I ended up coming here. This was like my second choice, but it ended up being the best. But oh man, I'm trying to think of like something that's, that's actually, even... That's, a, that's super valid. That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good I one think, actually. Because yeah. yeah, your life would have looked completely different had you not wound up here. Yeah, who knows? It's, you know, you can't, I suppose you can't go back and suppose what your life would have been like to me. Yeah, that's right. like, right. a, like dangerous in some ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, what, real quick, what school, what school did you go to here? I ended up going to De, uh, DePaul. Oh, right on. Oh, right cool. on. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, that was uh, sort of, I mean, I don't know if it was what I would point to, but that's really really where I wanted to go and then and like got into and stuff, and then my parents made me go somewhere else. Oh, legit. But I wanted to go to Paul. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, awesome question, awesome answer, and then uh, no press, but now uh, same thing to you. If you could ask a question to our next guest and not knowing who they are, just someone else in the music world, uh, what would you ask them? Oh, Someone in the music, so, and it can be anything. So it let can me be, see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I can't remember. I'm trying to remember back to our good buddy Mark Najar's question. Something about <laughs> it was something about farting or burping or something <laughs> like that. So there are a lot a lot of ways anything, you can take this yeah. one too. Well, I guess a, like a really big thing for me is is having enough calories in a day and like eating the right stuff to get things done. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to be somewhere for like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So I guess totally. my question would be for for whoever the next person is. Uh, like, what is your favorite thing to eat or or food that you is necessary for you to have, like, a nice full day if you're working on music? Nice. And what do you need to have with you? Nick, you know I've got to ask you now. <laughs> what's, what's on your menu? Uh, I have to have a huge breakfast. And then uh, uh, for me, I just I like to snack all day. Yeah. So it's like I kind of like to have – just a fridge full of like basically almost like a backstage rider right you know like chips and hummus and and veggies and stuff like that so that like so that people can like take a break and just nibble on something and nobody ever like crashes Mm -hmm. that makes such a huge difference in fact i'm I'm learning like i just recently moved into my first 
legit studio space, whatever that has a kitchen oh, and stuff like that. And thanks. Yeah. It's, it used to be Phantom Manor. I'm sure you've been oh, there yeah. before. Um, but, uh, there's a fridge and stuff in there. So yeah, yeah. Just like having nuts and hummus and like a cucumber around at all times has been fucking awesome just to like, Oh, I'm kind of feeling like lethargic or like a little lull right now. I'm yeah. just going to step out and eat some cucumber and hummus for a minute. And it's been an amazing development in my life. Yeah. It makes it makes a huge, I, you know, I get grumpy if my blood sugar gets low and I can't ever yeah. let that happen around other, yeah. you know, when I'm working with folks, but I actually, I, I make a point of telling bands now that, that it's very important that we have good food and that we take like meal breaks and mm-hmm. to the point where like I was working with a string quartet and uh, I got an email from uh, from one of the members' mothers and she's like, she was like, hi, I'm the manager. I'm actually the mother of, of the violinist. And uh, they told me that food is very important. So like, what would you like me to bring? Like, uh, is there anything we should avoid? And I was just like, yeah, you know, like, you know, Mediterranean, like lots of vegetables, yes. just like, mm-hmm. you know, clean protein. And she made like a, like a salmon pea salad and brought that oh, the wow. first day. It was, you know, it was just like fantastic. Well, and, and not only that, but obviously there's just like this hugely communal nature to sharing a meal with someone so that like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if the vibe isn't there, it's like, hey, let's just like sit down and have a snack together and that's going to break down some sort of ice and maybe maybe get you into a, a more relaxed space. Yeah, totally. That's Love funny, that. man. I think of all the sessions I've ever been in, I've never thought about what are we going to eat, you know, in eight hours or in, you know, at the end of the day or something like yeah. that. So that's a, that's a really good insight, man. I like that. Hell yeah. Love that. All right. Let's keep this going. So. Uh, if we can, let's just go back a little bit. So obviously, you're not from Chicago. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I lived in Minneapolis till I was nine, and then we moved to uh, to central Wisconsin, a little town called Marshfield, like a town of like eighteen thousand people. Uh, and then I lived there until uh, until I went to college here. So those are the only places I've lived. But the place I grew up was kind of uh, you know a small town and like not a lot mm-hmm. of culture. Like I don't remember seeing like any friends playing bands or anything like that mm-hmm. growing up at all and concerts mm-hmm. were really rare so it was a very interesting way to grow up i kind of had to like uh uh i i got i had really good uh and encouraging like band teachers growing up okay which was which was awesome and they would send me like recordings or oh you should listen to this and i'd go down to the library you know this is in the you know, early nineties before the internet, mm-hmm. obviously. And I like, so a lot of my musical input was like, what was on the radio, Sure. you know, like, uh, listen to the alternative station a lot and like, uh, you know, an NPR and stuff like that, I guess when they had classical music on, but I had to order all my jazz CDs from like a place in Indiana and like send get my dad to write me a check <laughs> kind of style and get this catalog that was just black and white on newsprint. And that's, oh, wow. Was jazz something that was in the house or was that purely from, from studying trombone? Yeah, it was like, you know, my parents didn't really listen to a lot of music. Uh, uh, and it was like, it was mostly those band directors. And it was kind of like the one thing I really got into is like, oh, we were in high school and I got into like this jazz band that we had at school and uh, just totally, like, totally fell for it, which was great. Mm-hmm. But. So I would That's you know. amazing. And honestly, something I want to just like quickly put a period on because so many people that we have on the show all the time, like we hear this story a lot where it's like, yeah, I don't know. Music was maybe not the biggest thing, but yeah. I had this music program in my school or I yeah. had this band teacher. That's so important. I, yeah, I mean, frankly, I wish I had had something like that because I, I, mean, I don't know. I might have gotten an even earlier start, but mm-hmm. it's so important and just driven home for me every time we talk to somebody. Yeah. It feels like just how important music education in school is. Yeah. Those teachers, man. That's why I like to this day like i i feel like you know matter what the subject like good teachers are so like encouraging good teachers they have the hardest jobs and we need them so bad like and uh, you know i got lucky with these two like one of uh, the the high school band director had a tape library in the band room of like lps of his that he had dubbed onto tape and he would just let me borrow them like and so i just had piles of tapes and then i dubbed them Mm-hmm. And then I ended up moving here in like uh, 96 to go to school, um, to go to jazz school, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, and then all of a sudden I re- <laughs> Where'd you learn that? Jazz school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually valid in my case. Um, yeah. So like, uh, and so I ended up like meeting all these kids from all over the place and especially like, you know, especially like the suburban schools around Chicago who like had, you know, really intense, like long running, almost like kind of famous, like high school jazz programs. Yeah. And I was 
immediately just because I had kind of been like a big fish in a little pond where I grew up. And it was just like, oh, okay, like, uh, <laughs> like I have a lot to learn, which was great because I was super yeah. hungry. And, and like my parents thought I was on drugs, like for the <laughs> for the first six months I was in college because they were like, you're just so excited all the time. I'm not. Sh- are you okay? And I was just are like, you yeah. on the, are you on the blues? I'm like people like what I like. This is amazing. Like <laughs> yeah, they know more yeah. about it. And like ah, uh, you know. Who are some of the Who are some of the the jazz cats and such that were turning you on at the time? Uh, any anything uh, of note that you feel like uh, worth worth mentioning here at this point? Well, I mean, like, you know, when I was in high school, it was like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things that you would find on a list of like the most influential jazz records of all time. And because like, mm-hmm. since I had limited money and couldn't just go down to a Tower Records like they had here, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would, like they had little stars in this catalog. You'd be like, oh, Sonny Rollins, Saxophone Colossus, or like, mm-hmm. or like, oh, you got to get this bassy big band record. Mm-hmm. And then my brother was into like much cooler music than I was. Like, you know, he was like early fan of like Tool and like and much more like kind of industrial music and stuff like that. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but when I got to college, that's when my lid got flipped around for the first time because I had a friend down the hall who was also in the music program, but had gr- come up like as, as kind of like a punk rocker, like, you know, played in ska bands and stuff like that. And he completely turned me on to like, to, to popular music really, <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> which yeah. was amazing. That is amazing. And, and kind of, and, and contrary to some of the things I hear about jazz school, not having ever experienced it myself, but I, a lot of the stuff that I've heard is that it, it can be this super hardcore environment where it's like, if you're not this hundred percent dyed in the wool bop guy or whatever it is, like you're not seen, you're not looked at as like a true jazz person. Oh yeah. There's um, a lot of purity tests, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, you can't sing this solo or like, <laughs> right, exactly. you know, almost to the point where it's like a sport where it's just like, Oh man, like, you know, like, oh, you don't know what this is, or like, oh, you've never heard this, or like, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't understand, like, like vibes like that, which I did, which I was not into, because I'm yeah. not really a, a confrontational person, but at the same time, it did push me really hard, which was which was good. So well, and, and so I've got to ask too. <laughs> I mean, you just you just brought up the uh, the the perhaps um, a word that shall not be spoken, a ska. Did you find yourself <laughs> drafted into have, any ska never, bands as a trombone? I have never played in a ska band. Ever in my entire yeah, life. Good job. <laughs> and no, no offense, but like, and that friend had a ska band, and I'd be like, dude, can course, I? And yeah. I, I'd be like, dude, can I play with you? Because I was just like, I was like, those shows. I was like, I've never played in a show like that. Yeah. And and uh, and he was like, no, man, you're too jazz. You won't, you won't get it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like I can. All right, whatever. But uh, you know, it ended up being for the best. Yeah. Well, at least you don't have to try to scrub anything from the internet uh, in that case. <laughs> uh, so obviously, I mean, we're talking a lot about trombone and in, in your performance, but one of the other things I think that at least how I've come to know you and a lot of people it is your work in both not only live sound, but also recording, engineering, audio engineering. Was that something that was also happening then? Nope, not at all. Like, so <laughs> basically what happened was I got out of school. And I had already been like playing a lot of different gigs, you know, like like I like right around '96. I think there was like when swing band, like swingers came out and swing bands were hot. So there, there was, was that like one year yeah. with like cherry popping daddies. Where, yep. uh, everybody's in zoot suits learning how to Brian swing dance. <laughs> <laughs> and like, which you know was good experience. But like, I was doing gigs like that and playing in salsa bands. And then like a year cool. later, I went on tour with like the Glenn Miller Orchestra, like this ghost band, which was in my first like real touring experience. And wow. they're on they were cool. on the road 48 weeks a year. Oh my god! Shit. Like real road dogs, like yeah. uh, wow. all in one bus, like uh, like the like the coach bus, like two seats per person. Oh yeah, and uh, like eighteen, like eighteen to twenty people. I can't remember exactly, but wow. and so I did that for several months, and I came back, and around around that time, I was starting to get into like more uh, more like experimental, like free jazz kind of stuff and improvised music. So I was already kind of like going in that direction. And then one day, uh, a friend of mine uh, called me and he was like, hey, man, I'm playing with this rock band and they're doing like a weekend tour and I can't do it. Would you be interested? And uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, totally. I'd love to do that. So I joined this band and then I ended up spending like the next like four or five years with them. This band had a femur that used to be here. Oh, yeah. Right on. I definitely remember had a femur. That's cool. Yeah, and then I just stuck with them for years, and we just like hit the road a lot. And those guys were actually—I think they gave me my master's degree in uh, 
in uh in again in like in popular music like just the stuff that they would play in the van was like yeah. you know i'd never really listened to like the lyrics of bob dylan i was just like oh yeah sure. my dad has these records and i was just like sure. Fuck, man this is amazing or like the band or like right. or even like more prog rock stuff and so we and then eventually we went into the studio to like record and i'd been playing on sessions and stuff like that but that was you know i'd go in for like an hour play the parts and leave right. but this was like you know days and days in the studio and i started to like and it was it, it, had either of you ever been to wall to wall you remember that place oh yeah dave yeah you recorded there right mm-hmm. i've recorded there and played parties there and yeah all kinds yeah. of stuff it was like a 70s bat cave studio. It's the, it, I honestly probably one of the coolest looking studios I've ever been in. Really. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> like cool very control 70s. room. Shag um, carpet on the walls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah and, and nice gear and like uh mm-hmm. and I you know, and so we spent a lot of time there and I started to really be interested in it and then playing on more and more sessions and I was like, "You know, I should figure this out." And then when it was time for um so I actually I bought that's when I bought a, my first four track and started oh, messing okay. with that. <clears throat> Uh, Did you go full on Porta Studio? Oh yeah, definitely. Gotta, you know. I don't, and I don't know what I did with that one. I have an, another one that doesn't work currently down here right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, I want to get it fixed. But uh, so I got that and started messing around with like overdubbing and bouncing stuff. And then when it came time for that for that band to make its next record, they got an advance from the record. They were getting an advance from the record label. And I was like, guys, we should just take this and buy gear because I had heard that that's what. Uh, other bands had done like i'd heard yeah. that rem had done that and then like okay. i was like that's really smart like we should just invest this stuff in gear and they're like well none of us know how to record and i was like i, I can <laughs> totally figure it out like trust me it, <laughs> i've been like researching this stuff and then for at least like weeks now yeah yeah for, for at least a few weeks like you know whatever and like uh, i love it and then and they were like no like fuck that we're gonna take the money and we're gonna go into the studio and so I was like ah oh, okay so then a couple years later I actually just moved into a recording studio um, like your home you lived there yeah yeah it was like uh, this place called the Shape Shop um, down like on Twenty Third in Michigan that my friend Griffin Rodriguez had run and before that it was a it was called Truck Stop um, they were like a record label and. Uh, they had like a small studio there. And so I moved in, which was great because it was like a raw dog, like party loft in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And we could mm-hmm. make noise. You know, we'd have all the windows open and four people playing drums at once. You know, <laughs> right. At any hour. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it shit. was like, it was the dream, you know? Yes, it is. And so, so whenever, you know, Griffin was going on tour a lot or just like busy sometimes. And I would, I would, I asked him, I was like, Hey man, is it okay if I try to, figure out the studio stuff he's like yeah you break it you buy it you know and i was like okay cool okay. <laughs> perfect and like uh and so i just really slowly started to mess with stuff like you know it took me three days to figure out why i wasn't getting sound out of the tape machine you know it was just like oh right mm-hmm. i have to put it into input to oh you know I was like, why is <laughs> yeah. there this weird delay but so you'll never make that mistake ever again oh yeah. no it's no the best no. way to learn so yeah, I just I just failed a lot at that at that mm-hmm. small studio, and then finally like because I was like, oh, it'd be great if I could just like make my own records and not have to pay for it. And then I I finally like invited some people in to play on something. I was like, could you could you give me a little money if I record you guys? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And that kind of like got the ball rolling. And then from then I just like kept researching and slowly buying mm-hmm. things, and you know. So so you're still in the shape shop now. No, actually, I I shut it down this year after like okay. after years and years and years. So, um, so then you just move everything back to your your house or something like a that. A lot of I know it, there was a bunch of gear in there. Oh yeah, there was a lot of stuff, and moving out of there was insane because it, it could kind of been like continuously occupied for like thirty years. Yeah, um, right. which is one of the reasons I actually wanted to leave is because I it's just like a lot of stuff, and getting rid of it was insane. All the big stuff is in storage, all the tape machines mm-hmm. and the big instruments mm-hmm. and stuff. And then I moved what I could back back to my house, which has been, you know, pretty cool for for this year. But I definitely miss it. Do you it. think you're going to move into a, another space at some point? Yeah, I I I definitely envision that. I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, you know. 
Um, because it's one of the things, <clears throat> there are a lot of things I want to ask you about and talk about, but one of the things I've never personally uh, got to spend much time recording through working with something like an MCI Sony console. And I would love to get your sort of take on even, you know, why you decided to build around that to begin with and, and maybe like <clears throat> sort of sonically some of the things that you would consider uh, signature elements or something that might not be present in like a SSL or API or Neve desk or something like that. Yeah. Well, the first thing is that SSLs and APIs and Neves are exorbitantly expensive and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I cannot, like, you know, there's a, there's an API for sale right now, but it's, uh, you know, more than my three of my cars. Is that Joey's? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I would love to just swoop in and buy that, but I also don't want to take on that much debt. Um, right. but so, yeah, I mean, cause originally like we had had the old studio at the shape shop was like a Soundcraft, like I think a 600 series, you know, like, really know which those. is almost a, like a live board, oh, okay. you know, like yeah, eight, totally. I think eight bus, four oxens, you know, pretty simple, good sounding good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we, we rebuilt the studio in 2007 and Griffin bought a Neotech from Nashville then. And so I had that for years and then, uh, but it was a prototype. So, and I, you guys know uh, Balthazar DeLay, right? Indeed, yeah. Where he's been on the show, he's, I actually work with him on some stuff as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Balthy's great. So I would have him come in and, and, uh, and work on it. But since it was a prototype, it was, the maintenance of it was like insane. You had to pull, to get a channel strip out, you had to pull out the two around it very gently set Holy them down because it was hardwired, wow. right? So there were no multi-pin oh, wow. connectors. And then if you wanted to work on a channel, you had to gently pull it out and put it on top of another channel to work on it. And oh, like, and it was a little off from the schematics and it was very frustrating for Balti and for me, um, even though it, what worked on it sounded great. But then I did a session with a, with a country band where I needed 24 in and out yeah. and I like barely made it. And I was just like, man, fuck this thing. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to start looking for another board. Like, yeah. this is, it's time. Like, I just need something that works. And, uh, and then um, Greg Norman hooked me up with a guy in Madison who was selling this uh, Sony 3036. And, and, and Greg owns one. So I talked to him about it. I was like, I was like, yeah, do you know about these? Can you fix them? He's like, yeah, I can do this and stuff. And I make preamps for them. And all these other companies make preamps and EQs. Cool. Um, and so I was like, oh, so it's like a modular system and like the price was right. He was selling his whole studio. So I bought his tape machines, um, which was, you know, I'd, I'd never had like a good two track before. So mm-hmm. I got, picked up that MCI JH110. Um, but I got that one because a, because it was modular and I knew I could upgrade the preamps. Um, uh, Sony made four different ones for it, like transformerless and transformer based. Cool. Uh, but also like. Uh, John Hardy, API, Avalon, I think JR Audio. So you're not you're not tied into whatever. How many channels is it? 24, 32? 30, uh, it's 36. 36 channels. So you're not tied to 36 of the exact same flavor on every single channel. You can have something transformerless or whatever with something more color. You can you have options. Yep, exactly. And then like API and I, A, I'm sorry, API and Avalon also make uh, EQs for it. Oh, badass! Is it sort of? Is it almost like 500 series? It's really, really, really close. It's a little more narrow, so you can't slip a 500 series in. Okay. Uh, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, those parts also aren't cheap. They're a little bit more than what you would pay for a 500 series, like you know, 550A or whatever. Probably just a matter of uh, supply on something like that. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't think they build a lot of them, but th- there's a lot of these around. Like, I know somebody just sold like 12 channels of API pre's and eqs and stuff like that so i was like okay this is like a future like i can make it better than it is you know slowly Mm -hmm. down the road and it had an integrated patch bay because my whole studio was built around the previous patch bay okay um and i was like okay like i just need a system that works i really like if i'm tracking i really like having a console because i don't want to have to go into pro tools and route a whole bunch of stuff all the time Mm -hmm. i just want to be like aux one up great Oh, you can't hear course, yourself. Not to mention all oh. the all the all the transformers that you could throw on the path doing it that way. And all yeah, that kind of stuff. and and that Sony is transformerless. In in fact, the Neotechs were transformerless too. Um, you know, which is oh, that is right. That's a that's an Albini thing. I forgot about. that. Yeah, and like uh, which you know, and a lot of the stuff you know, I do record a lot of musicians playing uh, acoustic instruments live in a room together. So I don't always need, you know, like the the real thick like mm-hmm. sound of like a transformer based like path. Um, although I do enjoy it. Um, 
but yeah, so like, so a lot of that was just like functional. Func- it was mostly functionality. It's like I need this. I need this many headphone sends. I need you know, I want to be able to patch the entire studio in, and and totally be able to do exactly what I want and mix through it. And you know, it's just well, a so routing you, box for me. Now I've got to ask, like jumping forward to this past hell year, <clears throat> where you're, I know you're still doing a lot of mixing work, but it sounds like you didn't have your desk desk to mix mix through. Were you doing that in the box? Um. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of decided when I had found out that there were, like, uh, you know, kind of big-name engineers that were, like, moving away from it, like, a few years ago, I both decided, like, I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to do this. Because, A, I, you know, I work on a lot of projects in a year. Mm-hmm. And, and my studio was, I, I live 10 miles from it. And I have to drive through downtown. <laughs> so Damn, like, yeah. I was like, man, if somebody wants a vocal up, I'm not going to spend three hours like right. exactly. doing a vocal up. So I started uh, really trying to figure out what I could do in the box and kind of like to still get some of the same vibe. And again, like the Sony and the Neotech, they don't have a lot of, uh, they don't impart a lot of character to the sound so it wasn't really changing things that much there are some things there's like some depth things and stuff like that but mm-hmm. uh so i kind of started training myself like four or five years ago to mix in the box and also to get used to using headphones because i was like you know i'm not going to have this room the whole time i right. need to like get some sort of setup where i can do it anywhere if somebody's like oh you know like like if i'm out of town somebody needs their song to be finished you know and i've got like my my octo with me and all the plugins I need. It's like, okay, I can mm-hmm. just do that for you right now. So what, uh, have you found any headphones that you really feel like you can rely on? Um, that's another, been another voyage of this year. I finally bought a pair of like uh Sennheiser HD six fifties. That's what I have um, on my head right as we speak. Yeah. I am the best fucking things ever. I, I'm obsessed. I love how comfortable they are. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm getting used to the sound. I've been using Sonarworks once in a while with them. Oh really? I haven't tried that. It's it's interesting. It, the, I I think it depends on which headphones you have a lot. With the, with the Sennheisers, it doesn't change it tremendously, but mm-hmm. there is like some phase shift and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's it's cool. Like uh, it's definitely worth demoing and messing around with. But again, it can be like confusing. Yeah, it's one of those right, things well, right. where it's, it's like, which do I trust? And you stop exactly. trusting yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that's the that's the sort of always like the the catch 22 with monitors like well i gotta get better monitors it's like well do you are you already super used to the ones that you have right. and can like make good decisions on that then yeah. maybe the quote-unquote better monitors are actually worse yeah if it ain't broke right and it totally depends on the room you're in i mean if you get a pair oh, of like eight you know if like those you huge speakers with a sub in a bedroom like you'll never hear what that's sounding like <laughs> there's ever. literally not enough room for the bass frequency to move no your space. upstairs neighbors will know what it sounds like yeah. <laughs> you won't love it <laughs> You know, so well, I, I gotta say before we leave the 650s though, just really because we I feel like we never really talk about them on here, but yeah, I love that I can leave them on my head for an entire podcast episode and don't ever even notice fatigue or anything like that. And I, and, you know, that's partially the semi open back thing, right? Um, but I will say that they're the closest I've and I've gone through a lot of headphones too, they're the closest that I've found to like. And I and I guess I'm really used to these Neumann monitors that I have, but they're the closest I found that I feel like I'm strapping a pair of speakers onto my head, and I don't like I, I'm not missing anything like I used to. Mm. Nice, yeah. And I like, do you wear glasses? I do not. Oh, I wear glasses, and they're very comfortable. With oh, my, that's, with that's my a good glasses. point, man. Yeah, because uh, yeah, sometimes I'll be in eight, ten hours a day. The other pair of headphones that I've been using for years are. Uh, I you know I used to have seventy five oh sixes which I still sure. love and they're yeah I've got those over at the studio they're built like a tank but they're mm-hmm. bright and like I can't I can't listen to them for very for very long I bought uh for the studio I bought a whole bunch of like the Audio Technica uh the forties the forty X's mm-hmm. so not the fifties that everybody gets it's like the hundred dollar yeah. one sometimes they're on sale for like seventy five bucks yeah and you can replace all the parts on them as well when they break uh, which is huge and. I I got those because they're super mellow, and like they're they're not crazy bright, and you can listen to them for hours, and they're cheap. And if you break them, you can walk into like any music store, pretty much in the country, and just grab another pair. Right. Um, That's so awesome. I started getting really used to those, and I still use those a lot. Yeah. Like just as my like take them around headphones. 
you know, for tracking headphones, that's interesting. <clears throat> I feel like I'm constantly, you know, people like to crank their headphones and then you get the, the stupid click bleed and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah. I feel like I'm always kind of trying to find this balance between like, because I've got the HD280s and the 7506s, but I would like something that's more like those goofy Vic Firth isolation drummer headphones. Right. So you don't get all the crazy bleed on the outside, but yeah. then they're not as like horrible. And they, I mean, those things just sound fucking like trash. They're, yeah. You shouldn't listen to them. But I, I would love to get something that's sort of in between the two where it's like, it sounds good, but also isn't constantly just like bleeding into every condenser mic. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the drummers I work with actually bring their in-ears and uh that with like an extension do it. Yeah. Do it, yeah totally and you can buy like the cheap sony's with like uh or not the cheap sony's the the like the lowest priced shures and mm-hmm. just buy all the foam um sorry the foam like ear uh ear like cushions for, for them yeah the molds there yeah. and you can just swap those out and some people will even like just use a pair of like uh like hunting um like you know gun range Oh yeah, uh, earphones. And just like throw those over the top of the other one. Yeah, and like... actually, that's what I do when I do live recording now, so I can get like the most isolation and actually hear what's going on. But that can the tips just keep coming. That's a good pro this. tip. Yeah. Wow. Um, sweet. Well, I also want to ask because so obviously we've talked a lot about this like recording your studio and theory stuff, but you also have done a lot of cool session type work. And I know like I've seen you play with Wilco, which is pretty fucking rad. So like for instance, I um something like the like that kicking television was there when you go, when you go into some uh, something like that is there a lot of rehearsal beforehand? Like do you get a bunch of time to get your parts worked out and arranged and all that? It really depends. Most of the time, no. Um. Like, and that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of the thing. It's like, oh, can you show up and just yeah. play this stuff? Okay. It's a little, it's a little more intense if you have to have it memorized. If you can have the sheet music, it's obviously, you know, just reading the sheet music. And, and, and most like horn parts with a lot of bands aren't super complex. Um, but yeah, you know, it's usually, I mean, most of the time if it's, you just get sound check and yeah. that's it. Wow. You maybe run through something once and there's only been a couple times where I, like it hasn't really been enough. Or like, or like, you know, during the show, it's like, oops, you know, but that happens very, <laughs> very rarely. It's like, oh, I didn't realize you were counting that off that way. Okay. Uh, you know, like I'll catch up. Right. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of the time and you know, a lot of time you go into the studio and, you know, they may have the parts just sitting on a stand there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm writing the parts, so I'm sending them out all before, but, uh, yeah, it really depends. But there's usually not a lot of rehearsal unless, uh. Unless the band is like from in town and they're friends and stuff like that, and you've, you've got the time to just like stop over or do the thing. Yeah, or oh, if it's cool. like a pre-production thing, like oh, let's try this out and like you know. But a lot of the time, Sweet. it's just straight up sight reading. Just reading. Wow. Yeah. Well, good thing you've got that uh, that jazz school background. Yeah. Then yeah. You can actually do that stuff. I'm like every fucking guitarist that I know, including myself. <laughs> I I did have to learn to read piano, but I mean that doesn't really help you play guitar. So whatever. Uh, so you've worked with a ton of people that both I've worked with and also really love. Like I'll just name a couple. I mean, Tom Schrader is an old friend. Nice. Um, Icy Demons, really a big fan of that band back in whenever. I mean, obviously Scott Lucas and the Married Men, a bunch of stuff with Tim Cash from Cursive. In fact, actually, one of my favorite records of the past year, <clears throat> that Quinn Kirshner record, um, turned out fucking amazing. Congratulations. On oh, that thanks, too. man. Mm. Um, also, before we leave that really fast, I've got to ask, as I was listening to this record, and I know it's, you know, it's Quinn, like his name's on the project, whatever, but I have to ask you, like, obviously you're, you had a lot to do with it. Like how much influence is Mahavishnu Orchestra on that band? Because to me, I'm listening Ooh. to that record. I'm like, that sounds like Mahavishnu sans John McLaughlin. <laughs> like it's, it's got those like same vibes and, and, and parts, but not like insane shredding electric guitar. on. That's it, interesting. I like, yeah, I like, I like that you said that. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if that, if, if that ever came up, like, uh. I know, like, well, in the band, like, uh, there's definitely a lot of, like, Sun Ra, Charles Mingus influences, okay, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah, and the, I, I can totally see that, though, like, there's that, there's that one song on there, um, where it's, like, I think where, like, everybody is playing, it's, like, the, the most, uh, oh, what is the name of it? I'm very bad with I'm, I'm blanking names. on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, hor- I'm horrible with Track words. Three. Well, so. even there, like, because there are some of the intense ones, but I hear it sounds like, like, there are moments, like, in the, in the chiller parts of, like, Birds of Fire or something, like, where it's, like, there are these sort of, like, more spread out ones. I, don't, I mean, I say this as someone who that's one of my all-time favorite yeah, groups, totally. period, musical things of all time, so um, kudos from there. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm talking about all these different things. Obviously, some of them you're playing, some of them you're mixing, sometimes you're mastering or recording them, like, 
when you go into a project, do you think beforehand, are you specifically compartmentalizing, thinking, okay, I need to come in today as a mixer, or I need to come in today as a trombonist, or is it kind of all just like, this is music and I'm going to do it? I think that's probably the overriding thing, but definitely if I'm playing a thing, there's, there's, I have to be in physical shape to do it. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Because yeah. that—that is—that's probably the most difficult thing about my situation is that, like, if I'm in the middle of a record, and I'm spending, you know, ten, you know, days upon days in a row in the studio, like, uh, to play a brass instrument really well, you have to play it every day, and like, and every day Pure you take off embu. sets. What are, what's the French word? Oh, the embouchure. Embouchure. Yeah. There it is. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the way you form your mouth, and so like, you know, those muscles atrophy really fast, and like. Uh, you know, if you don't practice for a day, then it puts you like two days behind. Oh, wow. So it's like really keeping up your chops, you know, is it can be difficult at times. Like this year, it's like, yeah, sure, I can play all day long if I want. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going and hanging out with anybody. But like that's that's kind of like physically for that. But then, yeah, mixing wise, like uh, as opposed to tracking or like or even like that Quinn record, I was playing on that. Mm-hmm. And we brought Brian Sulpizio in to, to – uh, to like assistant engineer and like uh, or co-engineer and like run the session while I was playing because previously I, I th- maybe on the first no on the first record we had somebody helping us, but on a bunch of those records I was doing it all, and which is kind of crazy, and I don't that is kind of crazy. I was looking at that I was like I don't I don't know how you do that. Like yeah. it's it seems like I have a hard time mixing something that I've recorded, let alone like also performing and doing all like everything. That's yeah. How, how do you, do, do you have to take time away from it? Like how do you find perspective with something like that? It's really weird. And I think, I think maybe I, you know, to be honest, like looking back, I don't know if I had the best perspective on some of those things and mm-hmm. like, which is one of those things where it's like, you know, you're young and you're like, whatever, I can do anything. <laughs> you know? And like, and then there, there are, you know, it's okay to act, like, this is, this is something my mother has told me for years and years and it wasn't until I was like in my late thirties, like, you know, she's like, you know, it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, yeah, actually that is totally true. Like somebody <laughs> please come and help me. So I don't like, I don't need to be the hero here. We're right. trying to make the, all that matters is like what comes out of the speakers at the end. So like, you know, yeah, no one gives a shit about all the stuff. Well, we give a shit, but yeah, like 99.99999% yeah. of people don't give a shit about all the stuff in between. Sure. Yeah. You know, my relatives don't care. It's like, how does it sound? Like, what is the music fun? Like, what's up? You know? Yeah. Give me a, a feeling that I enjoy. All right. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, um, yeah. So I'm trying not to do that as much uh, in that sense. But if I'm like co-producing a record or stuff like that and engineering, well, I still have to kind of like split my brain here, you know, go back and right. forth a little bit and take some prep you know yeah mental so so there's there's some pre-work that goes into it i was thinking as you were talking not to jump too far back but i was thinking about how it is kind of interesting like you're talking about um needing to keep your chops up and like you know us us ding dong guitar players like i could literally have been sitting here playing guitar the entire time we're having this conversation just noodling and no you know nobody would ever know you can't just like oh let me just grab my bone real fast and just like noodle in in the middle of a conversation sit on the couch and watch a movie and practice exactly plus when you totally different thing plus when you pick up a a guitar you can instantly play something kind of cool or at least you know like recognizable to most people you pick up the trombone most of what i practice on a trombone like nobody ever wants to hear that you know, you, you could do the yeah. It's just like, like it's like yeah. The endurance of even living with somebody, you know, <laughs> that's a like, good point. Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, their mute technology must have progressed uh, a bit. At this oh, point, definitely. Right? Yeah, there's definitely some good options out there. But like, you know, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's totally. You know, it's like that's the thing. It's like I I was never like one of the cool kids. You know, when you play the trombone, it's like a lot of us are nerds, and mm-hmm. uh, and so like it's yeah. But uh, so that's why it's so awesome for me to be able to like do this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, like yeah. yeah, I'm just a trombone player, but I'm here hanging out. Like, like, let's do some things, you know. Let's definitely do some things. Speaking of a, a trombone and doing things, um, something that I don't have much experience with, and I think our listeners might um, love to hear from an expert. Uh, do you have any any kind of like? even high level brass recording tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like not something that we all get to do all the time. And you obviously uh, are intimately familiar with both sides of it. So anything that, you know, even from mic choice to positioning, whatever it is, like any kind of tips that you feel like might help some, uh, some people interested in recording, mixing brass instruments. Oh, like if you're going to have a horn section in and you're recording them or something like that. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, work out the arrangements beforehand. You know, That's a big one. unless they're really close buddies and you have, you know, and, you know, but if you're hiring people, like you should really have the arrangements worked out beforehand and get them to the, mm-hmm. to the people so they can see uh, if they make sense on their instrument, because that happens a lot. People write too low for things or too sure. high uh-huh. or like something that's like almost impossible, especially for strings. That happens a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I really like getting horn sections together that play together, like that know each other and just kind of have right. like a like they don't have to like really talk a lot they just react together and they play in tune because the best thing is when the air mixes horns together and if you can have yeah a minimum amount of microphones recording the horn section it's going to sound you know like you listen to like uh like the horns on like thriller those jerry hay horns Mm -hmm. you know there's i think there's individual mics in front of everybody but bruce we didn't always stabs yeah yeah but like uh, Bruce Sweden recorded almost everything in stereo. So I think he just had like a stereo pair in front of them. And that oh, wow. section is wow. just so blended. They're just so tight. And they may not have, excuse me, they may not have even been wearing headphones. You and, know. Uh, speaking, I think I think we, we gave him um, a postmortem shout, but rest in peace, Bruce Sweden. Uh, yeah, yeah. Recently. One of the masters. Um, yeah. So are you, are you, I mean, what, are you reaching for ribbons to sort of attenuate some of the top? Like what kind of, what are you thinking about when you're grabbing mics? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and setting up your chain? Brass instruments, generally a ribbon microphone, saxophones, you can get kind of all over the place. Like uh, alto sax, usually a ribbon. Um, I usually want something a little darker. And then for mm-hmm. like tenor and berry, big fat tube mics. Oh yeah. Cool. Okay. 47 or something. Yeah. Like that. But even like for flutes, I'll use like a, I'll use a, a ribbon mic usually and just, uh, you know, clarinet. Yeah, just kind of like whatever, but like uh, whatever whatever makes the instrument sound good. And, what, <laughs> and whatever good whatever, go whatever you have there. And like, and if the, mu- the better the musician, the better it's just going to sound anyway. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Um, all right, so, I mean, I feel like we've kind of jumped through a lot. Oh, you know what? I do want to ask, you, you mentioned... Um, playing uh, or hiring sections which made me of course think of yours are, are the total pros still a thing they are i mean obviously playing horns together in a room is a bad idea right now yeah um, no kidding yeah like uh, i just played on a on a few sessions uh a few weeks ago like all in a row and one of them was at electrical and they they have uh they're doing a really good job there where they they don't allow people that have to work with masks to be in a room with anybody else while they're tracking. So we had three horn players, but we were all, uh, you know, in different, different parts of the studio playing together, which is a different sound, but like, it's just how we have to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Um, but I think I maybe missed the bit, the, the basic, uh, the start of your question though. Uh, Can you repeat it for me? Sorry. Oh, I, that would uh, in, that would require me to remember the beginning of the question. <laughs> um, I good. guess I, I was just I was just asking about like you know current like total pros like oh the, the total pros you guys. Yeah. yeah yeah totally you know and I actually I need to give a shout out to Max Crawford to Dave Max Crawford who uh, is the founder of that um, the, the total pros I think it got started when we were playing with uh, playing some shows with Wilco with me him and at the Riv right yeah yeah with Paul I Martins was that one of those yeah yeah and like. Uh, you know, and, and Jeff was like, oh, what's your horn section name? And and Max was like, total bros. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it does exist. That's It's, it's definitely Max's thing. Um, but I still play with those guys. And, and, yeah. to, and I w- did want to give a shout out to Max because he has hired me to do a lot of those shows. Like, you know, when we, when we did that Colexco Iron and Wine thing, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, it's been great. He'll call me up to do, you know, play in the horn section, which is awesome. So wow. it's all about those relationships. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question here. And, and this is purely for me because it's something that I've been obsessing over uh, recently. <clears throat> do you have, do you have like, um, do you have a standard sort of mix bus where like certain things are going to go on your master bus every time that you're making a mix? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, for years, I, years and years and years I resisted and, uh, like, you know, of course, it's like the first question everybody will ask on an interview with an engineer anywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not I'm not, I'm not, not saying it's not a good question, but like, you know, if you're like... Uh, it's not a great question, but it's because I, like, lately, I just, I've been trying everything and I'm, and I'm really, basically, I'm just looking for something else to try. Right, right. But I think a lot of people lean on it so hard, um, which I, I think is, is, is the thing. So for me, 
I was doing the same thing for years where I would just have like an SSL, like the SSL bus compressor and mm-hmm. then like an L2 at the end. And very simple like that. And that was mostly just to make sure that things were loud when I was sending them to the clients. Keep it loud, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I just turn off the L2. Uh, and then I got the Oxford inflator. Oh, man. Which... I still don't totally know what it does. I don't get how it works. I, or, Why does it make everything sound cool? Or do I really cool? care what it does? <laughs> yeah. But, because I, you know, and you have to be careful with it because, yeah, you can turn it up all the way and then, like, you know, things sound super thick, and which is totally fine. Sometimes I use that in individual instruments. Yeah, but it can yeah. really, because I like, if I'm going to use something in the two bus, I want everything to be, each part of it to be really subtle. I don't okay, want something sure. to, like, totally, you know, switch something into left field. Um, so the, the inflator is great. And then, uh, but recently now I'm like, uh, cause of course I bought some plugins around black Friday. Everybody does. Um, I got a, what did it, wait, what, oh, I finally bought uh Oak sound soothe too. Oh yeah. I got that. It's, it's uh, insane. That, that's that, another one that's magical. Yes. It's magical, but it's also can be dangerous. I've heard people destroy a vocal with it. Oh really? Yeah. Because you can overuse it and then you get all the, those weird little resonance oh, right. humps, you know, or like, uh, or things start to sound phasey, especially if you do it before you compress, like sometimes it can sound a little weird, but, mm-hmm. but everything's kind of like that. So anyway, like, yeah. but my chain now, um, I am still using the SSL. Sometimes I take it out. Sometimes I throw, uh, like a UAD pull tech in there just, and I don't even turn yeah. up anything. No, you, it just sounds better. I was going to when you said the inflator, I use the Pultec in pretty much the same way that I think about the inflator. It's like, do I want this just to kind of like beef out a little bit? Maybe add a little top end? Okay, cool. Yeah. And the, and all the like, all the listening training I've been doing for myself this year, it's like, there are certain things where you just turn them on and they don't even do anything, but it, the stereo picture will change mm-hmm. mm. really slightly. And it's like, and sometimes that plugin will spread things a little bit. I bought the SPL Iron compressor, which I'm still kind of getting used to. Oh, I haven't checked that out. I've been using it more in mastering, but it is also a great vocal compressor. Um, and then I've been using Ozone. Yeah. Uh, and I mostly just use the the limiter in that and the dither. You know, I was actually, now that you bring that up, I've been, I usually use Ozone on this podcast, but I recently it touched on it. I've had to do this big computer upgrade, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm on Big Sur. And for some reason, I can't get Ozone to work anymore. Hmm. Ah. I, don't, I don't know if it's specifically with Big Sur. I actually haven't looked into it yet. I probably should do that. Is Big Sur the, the, the newest? The newest. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 There's going to be a whole bunch. I'm, you know, that's that's another thing. It's like I'm I'm on 2012 computers. and My 2013 just broke, which is oh, why all this I'm so happened. sorry. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Dave, or I, Dave and I were in the process of starting to record last yeah. week in my computer fucking. I was like, oh. There's no audio coming through. Oh, that's the worst <laughs> feeling ever. But yeah. like, at least you're going to be good for like, you know, six years, hopefully. With but that not memory. really because but not they just put out those M1 chips and everybody's already talking about how much better they are, even though they don't work with anything in the music world God, yet. That's so ridiculous. it's just like, it's going to be, I mean, I'm sure you went through it too, but it's going to be the power PC to Intel thing yeah. all over again. Well, I remember oh, wow. the first computer I bought, like uh, a month later, they released USB. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Course. Well, that's the thing. Firewire has been completely yeah. phased out by Apple in Big Sur, which is insane. They invented the technology. Whatever. Yeah. Anyways, this has been a freewheeling, amazing conversation. Yeah, and I have learned a lot. So thank you for being so open and, and honest with us and, and sharing your candor. If anybody wants to work with you, wants to check out some of the stuff that you've done in the past, uh, maybe, maybe hire you, where would you send them on the web? Well, uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at nbrosty, and that's B-R-O-S-T-E. Um, and then also uh, I have a website that's just uh, com, and that's got, you know, like a listening page, a discography, um, and then like links to some of the places, that, some of the rooms I work out of here in town. And um, cool. yeah, pretty easy. Including to find. Uh, Shirk Studio in Palisade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, shout out. Love those places. Former guests on this show. Yep. So... Wow! Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks, man. man. Yeah, thank uh, you guys. The time to, to chat. I, you know, obviously, <clears throat> wish we could uh, have done this uh, in person, but we're not quite there yet in the world. So, um, you know, maybe one of these days, once we're all vaccinated and whatnot, we can do another another hang and chat and do something like that. Sounds great. Boom! All right, boys. Well, thanks love a lot. You and uh, be safe. Yeah, take care out there. <laughs>